Hey, what's up, everybody? This week, I'm so very fortunate to be speaking with Dania Ramos, a new faculty member in the Maslow Family Graduate Program in Creative Writing at Wilkes University, about her work creating audio dramas. This is episode 89 of Untenured Track. Thank you so much, Andrew. It's so great to be here. Um, yeah, so actually I'm gonna uh, talk about a little bit about what I just finished because it was such a big, huge project that I just um, loved to do. Um, this is uh, Time Storm. So this is an audio drama podcast and we, uh, my husband and I'm like, you know, um, we produced this together. I was the head writer um, and it is, um, actually for TYA, so Theater for Young Audiences, only it's audio drama. Um, and it's about 12-year-old twins from New Jersey who travel in time to preserve their culture's true history. Um, and their background, their cultural background is Puerto Rico, Puerto Rican. Um, so both of their parents were born in Puerto Rico um, and they were born and raised here. Um, yeah, so it's been amazing to work on that um, piece um, as an audio drama. My background is in theater. Um, and um, um, yeah, it's just been an amazing journey uh, to be able to do three seasons and really follow um, character arcs over a longer extended period of time than just a single play. Uh, that sounds incredible. <laughs> I, <Thank you. laughs> uh, I can't wait to go and, and check this out. Um, I, it checks every box for me, so I'm like I'm struggling right now to be like professional, like interview guy, and not like dork about your oh. work. Um, but I, I like. Let's be dorks. <laughs> That's a good. That is a good tagline uh, for, for the creative writing program at Wilkes. Let's be dorks, David. That's some some free marketing copy. <laughs> I, I like it because I like. I don't know. I like time travel stuff. I think it was super interesting, but like time travel with a sort of anti-imperialistic sort of uh, uh, spin on it, I think is super interesting. Like, a, like, a, a, I don't know, a more powerful back to the future or something like that. Right. Yeah, um, absolutely. One of the, I'll just mention one of the, um, I was a big geek of, um, of quantum leap growing up. So that was kind of like, I grew up with that. I was like, obsessed with it watched so many of those episodes yeah. over and over again um but then when when it came time to kind of craft this specifically um for the age group which is like 8 to 13 year olds um then i was you know I, i'm also um a novelist so i've written a couple of um middle grade uh, books uh, actually published through um um overdue press with lenore hart um and david poyer and so i've been also creating in other genres for this middle grade um age group. Um, and so I devoured some of the 39 Clues series books. And so it was kind of like a combination. If you take 39 Clues series, rushing all over the world and finding things with Quantum Leap, that was my kind of uh, explanation of the series. <laughs> I'm excited now to also look into 39 Clues because I have a seven-year-old. Uh, oh. And so I, I've been reading 
we're we're reading like a lot of middle grade and YA stuff together, um, and it's it's been like really fascinating, right? To like to see. Uh, I don't know. Just I don't know. I find these books like super super interesting. Um, and to so see good. and to see like what what resonates with her too has been really fun as like a dad. Just to be like, what's she gonna what like what is she gonna key in on? Um, I don't know. It's it's been so much fun. Yeah, that sounds amazing. Uh, <laughs> um, so, like, could you tell us more about about sort of the um, maybe more of the I don't want to say intellectual or like serious, but I guess that's the best way to put it, right? Because like, if you're talking about kids going back in time to try to preserve their culture, um, that's sort of like a, a more um, what's the word I'm looking for? This is a hard part about improvisational interviewing is when I get stuck <laughs> on a word <laughs> then it's um, memorialized forever um, <laughs> how dumb I am uh, no, no, never. <laughs> uh, no but it doesn't I mean yeah I guess I guess I can say um uh speaking to that that there is we definitely have adventure and fun but there yeah. are kind of um historical things or serious things that can come up absolutely yeah. and it's just um how do we see that through the main character's eyes so that's alexa and benny they're 12 years old how do we see how do they view the past you yeah. know living in the states living stateside um and growing up here, knowing that they've been to the the their parents' um, homeland, you know Puerto Rico, mm. um, as kids, some you know to visit family. But then when they go on and see it for themselves, and literally go back in time and learn about things that we don't hear about, um, yeah. certainly I didn't hear about, you know, going to to school in New Jersey. Um, some of the pe amazing people, amazing events that happen in Puerto Rican history that that um, that um, created our identity, our culture, right, our history, um, and they they're hearing it for the first time, but they're actually witnessing it. You know, they're going back and meeting, um, you know, Celestina Cordero, who mm -hmm. who who was an Afro Puerto Rican um, educator, and her brother Rafael is known as beloved. This a beloved um, educator, and he, you know, he's revered. Uh, he has a street named after him. He did all these amazing things, um, but we don't hear about his sister, right? Mm -hmm. um, and she was someone who was fighting at a time when people were saying that not only girls shouldn't be educated, um, and um, um, and uh, the, you know, um, African uh, um, the the black children should not be educated. Those were the beliefs at the time, and she was fighting against both of those things. Um, and we don't hear about her that much right now. Mm -hmm. And here were these twins who go back in time, um, and and literally Alexa is in her classroom. You know, mm -hmm. so she gets to see her teach um, um, and Benny goes to Raphael's classroom and they get to, you know, say like, what was it like to be in his classroom? What was it like to be in her classroom? Um, so we are able to kind of um, dive into some of the more serious themes, yeah. but always coming back to kind of fun and adventure. And I'll say that it's not only in the past that we deal with some serious stuff because um, the present day storyline is actually set the week of Hurricane Maria hitting Puerto mm -hmm. Rico. So there's kind of like a parallel storyline um, that's happening in the series. Mm -hmm. um, and so the twins are and their parents are very much active in trying to help um, their own the community. The community mm -hmm. there in North New Jersey is rallying and, and trying to help um, a lot of people who have family members back in Puerto Rico. Um, and 
And at the same time, they're traveling into the past and seeing what happened um, to that island in the past. So, so yeah, so that that's some of the ways that we're able to to um, approach some of the more serious material. So I, I think what I want to ask, because I, I've had experience sort of covering historical stuff in my classrooms, um, because I teach a lot of like historical criminology and sociology of revolutions and like stuff like that, where students who have only been exposed to uh, American history through American classrooms oftentimes like come to this information uh, with very fresh eyes and, and more often than not are kind of stunned about some things that have happened um, even in, in this hemisphere, right? Like I, I cover the revolutions in Haiti and Mexico and I have students who are, um, you know, from the Dominican Republic who are, who are shocked about this or students who are from of Mexican descent who are um, shocked by, by some of these stories, right? Um, and so I, I guess I'm curious about like, how do you approach, what's the best way to approach that age group um, in terms of the serious stuff? Um, because I, I, I could imagine that there might be some people who would say like, you know, they're still small children, like really kind of treat them with soft gloves, but others might say like the opposite and that this is, this is important stuff for, for kids to learn about. So I guess how, how heavy do you, do you make it for them? Yeah, well, it's interesting because um, because of my background, both writing for stage and um, the two novels that I wrote were referred to this age group as well. Um, and learning in how to craft the, these other stories, um, and I was always um, taught, and I always believed that you want to you always want to trust your audience that they're going to go along with you, right? And it's no different if your audience is eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, right? Mm -hmm. um, and um, so I think that was like one of the things that I had in mind. Yeah, you want to make it fun. Yeah, yeah. you want to make it accessible for that age group. Um, but also, you know, and, and you want to be funny too. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, um, so you definitely want to have all of that. Um, but, but there's a way to incorporate, I think, um, all of that, uh, the, the seriousness into all of that. And I, I think it comes back for me, it comes back to making sure that you are staying true to seeing whatever is going on through those main characters' eyes, through mm -hmm. the 12-year-old eyes, right? Mm -hmm. um, and trying to be as honest as possible um, to get that voice right. And, and you know, when we had um, quite a bit of development and feedback that we did get both from parents and from um, kids who are in this age group mm -hmm. to, to make sure that we were hitting the right mark. Mm -hmm. So I'm curious, like what, what got you interested in writing for this age group um, to begin with? I'm actually a teaching artist. Um, so I teach playwriting and creative writing and drama um, for, I've actually taught as young as preschool up through high school, or actually adults technically, yeah. <laughs> um, um, for, but as a teaching artist, um, uh, my favorite age group to teach is this. I yeah. love middle grades, that late elementary um, into middle school. Um, there, you know, there's a lot of those students that I've had in that age range, they're just, when they have a story to tell, it's magical because it's, it's at a point where they, they still will go for it. They'll still like go back wild with the imagination and not necessarily censor themselves. Um, where sometimes you get to high school and they're like, oh, I want to get this right. Is it right? Is it, am I doing this the right way? And, and so for me, it's a magical time where the, the storytelling can go anywhere. And I'm always, so delighted to be able to kind of 
just be there and be able to guide and be like, okay, what's the story you want to tell? Let's tell it the way you want to tell it. Let's go for it. Um, yeah. So for me, being a, a teaching artist and seeing how um, magical it is uh, to, to be able to tell a story at that age, um, I just, I recognize how, um, like how unbelievable the stories are at that time in our lives. Mm -hmm. So that's just what drew me in. Yeah. It's fun. That's, that's interesting though, because like, I don't know, you, you hit on something that, that bugs me about just teaching in general, right? Is that students become so preoccupied with the idea of getting something right or wrong and not about the merit of doing it or the experience of doing it that, that like, you can't, you can't come to art. <laughs> <laughs> that with that mentality right that you're going to do it wrong um because it's not a math problem right you know? <laughs> <laughs> absolutely and i think you know i i still do that to myself i'm like you know when i'm in a, the process i have to be like oh wait a minute uh, uh, don't get that voice in your head about that certainly when you're doing that real deep creation like yeah just letting it go um yeah absolutely because when you have that voice that's telling you it's wrong or right gets messy when that's too loud <laughs> <laughs> yeah and and maybe that's something we could talk about too for students who might be listening to this or watching this um because uh, at least in my experience right as a screenwriter um outside of wilkes i've i've encountered folks who maybe swear by the rules of structure not that structure is impossible but it seems to me that there are there are people out in the world who feel like there's a formula you can follow to get something published. And if you check all of the boxes, right, uh, do, it, do it this way, characters experience X, Y, and Z, all wrapped up in a nice bow by the end of the third act, then I will, you know, it's the next stop is uh, accepting my Oscar. <laughs> and, <laughs> and that's just, that's just not how it works, right? Like we have to have some freedom to, to explore the space. Right. Oh, abs yeah, absolutely. I agree with you 100%. I'm, I think, you know, sometimes you're going to depends on the project, depends on what the work wants to be. Sometimes it needs to be super structured and you need that outline. Um, and that makes sense for that piece, but it's not going to be every time. Um, and certainly, uh, you know, anticipating that you're going to get it right if you do X, Y and Z. Um, I. I, to me, that's never been, <laughs> that's never worked. Um, that's never worked for me um, with something that I felt at the end I came away with and saying, this I had was an amazing experience to create and I feel so proud and I'm so passionate about this story. Mm -hmm. um, so if that's what you're going for, um, sometimes you have to just know when to let some of those like check marks fall away <laughs> or or be like, like if there's like a list of things that you think you want to achieve with certain things they don't have to go in a certain order right <laughs> like yeah. you, you can <laughs> you can certainly do things out of order and still get to that thing like oh, i really need to hit that um but don't necessarily like make sure that you have hit it all in the first draft or something yeah like oh yeah yeah um yeah, and that's another thing I think folks, uh, at least students listening, just need to just make peace with, right? Is that you're going to have lots and lots and lots of drafts. Oh, uh, yes. Always be revising. <laughs> nothing is, nothing is ever perfect, and it and never will be perfect. I, I guess until it's sold and and published. <laughs> yeah, no, right? that, absolutely. And then you're still like, oh, can I go back and revise that? <laughs> After the oh, yeah. yeah. Don't don't take the Tennessee Williams approach of <laughs> live editing. 
Uh, oh <laughs> yes. Work as it's being performed. <laughs> not, <laughs> not, not, not the best idea. Um, so I, I guess that, that brings me to the next question that I wanted to ask you about, which is um, one of the things that uh, I think Wilkes does really well is help students sort of discover their process on their own. Um, and one of the ways that that happens is by talking to, to faculty about, you know, what what works for you? What's your what's your process? So I will I will uh, ask that question of you now. What's your writing process like? Um, wow. See one process that's not true for me <laughs> um i think it really depends on what i'm writing um because so i've written stage plays um i i most recently recently i've been working on audio drama i've also written um novels and so for me um like i'll just be to right now what i've been doing recently for audio drama um it's been super collaborative um, so for me, it's not just me when I was writing a novel, it was just most, you know, me and working with another editor. But this this process, um, when I write, so so for example, and in, in Timestorm, we had 28 full episodes, plus a lot of like bonus material. Um, and so for in general, when I write a script for that, I do have an outline, uh, a sense of an outline, um, because I am writing for a season arc, mm -hmm. um, and as well as um, each episode having its own individual art mm -hmm. um but also in that season uh, there's another um writer andrew uh sanya stella oh who was writing with me he's he's writing other episodes right mm -hmm. um so for a given specific uh episode um i would take the outline i would write the draft um then we would go to a point where um we would do recently it's been virtually do a reading of that that draft i mean when i say draft it's really like draft seven <laughs> but, yeah. but, but let's say it's like the draft yeah. um yeah doing doing a reading of your first draft is yeah not happening serious thought i think for anybody um yeah so when i get to the point where it's like a draft that is um ready for feedback i'll say um then andrew who's the other who is the other writer would be a part of that as well as michael who is the sound designer um um and, and composer and then we would have a mix of either actors who are already cast in the show and outside um, actors. We read that. We get I get feedback on that. Um, um, and then from that, I will revise several times again. Um, and for us, what our goal is in audio drama is to get to that recording script. Mm -hmm. um, and so um, once we we are there, I've been actually directing too. So that's kind of like merging, oh, wow. <laughs> merging a couple of, of roles. Um, but yeah, so so that's basically been the the process for audio drama. Mm -hmm. um, and playwriting is also very collaborative, but it like you have like, yes, to me, there's so much time in playwriting <laughs> compared to, you know, when we were doing the audio drama and it's like, this is recording day, so this needs to be ready by this date. <laughs> um, so yeah, when I, I'm, I'm actually very excited to get back to some like stage plays because I'll yeah. be able to like, luxuriate in the time. <laughs> um, and I'm sure I'll be stressed out in other ways. But um, <laughs> yeah, so um, for me, script writing in particular has always been very collaborative. I received a lot of feedback throughout the process and of course as you i'm sure you know you um find that hearing it hearing this the dialogue with actors voices is such a key thing in the process yeah yeah one of the the 
I think the best thing I did before finishing the MA for Wilkes was uh, putting together a table read, like ahead of the table read that we did for my thesis defense um, that, that my mentor, Ross Clavin, um, came to and, and both of us watching it. And I sat here uh, with a hood up, <laughs> strings drawn, because it was like I've, I've never experienced anything like that before, having somebody, having a bunch of other people um, uh, read my work, put my trust in them to read it. But then also like there, there's obviously putting trust in me to, to have written something worthwhile. It was one of the scariest things in my life, but I'm, uh, it made the actual thesis defense so much better because I was able to hear that dialogue, you know, and, and figure out like what jokes, what jokes worked and what, what was funny at, when I was writing at like two o'clock in the morning <laughs> and, <laughs> and needed to be taken out immediately because it was so bad. <laughs> so yeah. <laughs> hearing it, hearing it is so, is so helpful for, so for students, um, watching this um in if you're if you're able to to get a table read if you're doing screenwriting or um playwriting or just get your friends <laughs> to read Absolutely. read your pages out loud um it's gonna it's gonna sound so different and you're gonna have a new appreciation for your work absolutely yeah and i would add that um when uh when i was writing fiction as well i would always read it out loud. There was like a point where I would just, well, several points where I would read it out loud because, because it just makes a difference hearing it out loud than on the page. Oh, yeah. You hear things differently. Yeah. I, sure. I mean, I, with my students like doing research papers, I tell them to read it out loud, read it out loud to yourself um, because you're going to, you're going to see how it flows. Um, you're going to see where there's like missing, like you're taking big leaps in logic or your transitions sound awkward or whatever. Yeah, totally. Definitely a big fan of, of talking out loud to yourself yes. <laughs> about what you're working on. I, I got to ask you, too, because I'm, I'm really curious about this. What's it like being a director for audio dramas? Um, so, yeah. So when we decided we were going to, you know, self-produce, um, we needed a director. And I said, oh, OK, I think I'm doing this. OK, I'm doing this. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I've directed. I directed for stage um, mostly when I'm doing teaching artist work. I've directed mm -hmm. student written work. Um, yeah. um, so that's been like my background in directing. Um, when we shifted to audio, um, you know, it's really interesting because um, typically there's not a really long rehearsal process. Yeah. Um, we would do like a, a speaking of table reads with the recording script with all the actors when it's not COVID um, in a room together reading it. If it's on COVID, it, COVID times we do it on screen. So the actors would hear each other um, mm -hmm. for whatever scenes that they're recording. Um, and then, you know, we um, actors are recording in with script in hand. Mm -hmm. So it's a little different than this kind of like three week, two week process um, from the stage. Um, and so for me, um, as a, coming from the stage and come, coming to audio, that was like a shift to be like, OK, yeah. we're here really in the moment. Like, how are we going to make the most of these two to three hours? Mm -hmm. um, and it's all it's all voice, right? Yeah. It's voice, um, it's dialogue, but there's also what are the size going to sound like? Um, you know, is someone out of breath, you know, <laughs> coming into something? What are, when are the appropriate times to take a, a beat of silence? Um, so it's thinking about um, like hyper-focused on the vocal performances, yeah. obviously, because um, you have the vocal performances and then you're going to have someone design, like sound design it, but you want to make sure that the actual vocal performances sound really um, 
honest, sound like people talking, sound like people in the situation. Um, So there are times when we um, will do, you know, takes that are like, okay, this is how it's on the page. Um, And then this is, so this is very different from stage. Um, We'll, we'll actually sometimes do a take where I'm like, you know what, what the gist of this scene is, just do it. Just, you know, say what the characters need to say, um, throw in a word that change it around a little bit, play around with it. Um, and we do that. And sometimes we'll take one word, one sentence out of that last take, mm-hmm. but it sound it makes, it makes the scene pop um, because yeah. it's just so in the moment. So it's, yeah. it's, um, that's a shift I think from, from yeah. stage. Um, yeah, it's really a lot of fun. I'll say that, um, directing for audio. (laughs) No, it sounds like it. I mean, I, to help improve my own writing, I took a a course outside of Wilkes, um, about, uh, directing for screenwriters and it was, it was really fascinating and it helped improve my writing a ton. Just thinking, like kind of getting over that hump that I had about, you know, trying to make things more visual. Um, but it's all visual, right? And, and like use of color and shape and, and framing shots and everything is like super interesting to me. But how that translates to audio um, is now, I've never thought of that before. <laughs> and I'm gonna be thinking about this for a while. Um, just that ability, I guess, to pluck out, like you said, like one line and, and sort of construct a scene around that. That's so, that's so cool. Yeah, and I, you know, at the end of the day, if, if you know, the actors are, connected to the material and to each other um, it, you you you're trusting each other again it comes back to that trust that we were talking about um that they're going to be able to to get there and and so it's it yeah it, we it, we think about working with audio um and you think it's all a voice you're using those tools all the audio to create the visual right so yeah. visual is still in there even though it's not literally there yeah. <laughs> if that makes sense yeah no it does <laughs> It does. I mean, yeah, I just hadn't thought of it that way before, like the timing of a sigh or how how out of breath is someone. And I imagine like, you know, use of sound effects, too, has to be a, a big part of this. You know, it, it can't just be just dialogue. There has to be something else in there to draw people in. That's got to be. <laughs> I don't know. I, I'm trying really hard again not to like go into super dork mode <laughs> for this. <laughs> Because this is about the program and not about not about my own curiosity, but um. well, we could chat anytime about <laughs> about those specifics. I will add that um, to me for audio drama specifically, I always say that Michael, who is a sound designer and composer, um, is as much the director as as I would be because there are there are choices, you know, with pacing and 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 when a when a sound effects comes uh, comes in, um, yeah, and where to place that sigh or the footstep or whatever it's happening, and, yeah. and so it's so collaborative. Or even just like the quality of that effect, right? Because I have to imagine there are, there's probably a lot of stuff that you could do yourself, but there's probably also stuff that's already been made that you could purchase and drop in, but probably a varying quality. Thinking of just like footsteps, right? Yes. Um, And how my kids might do it (laughs) if we were just, you know, playing around the house versus what a professional might sound like. I, I could imagine there are some opportunities there to do really cool stuff or to like fall flat on your face if the effect doesn't sound as as great as it could that's that's such an interesting puzzle though um to yeah. think about um well thank you for sharing that i yeah, i appreciate absolutely. it and if i appreciate it then uh everybody listening to this appreciates <laughs> it too for no, sure i will talk about it as much as you want so. <laughs> i will but... definitely i will definitely reach out after this and, and yeah. pick your brain um sure, for sure 
So uh, to steer it back towards the program okay. and not just my own curiosity about stuff, um, what what excites you about the opportunity to come and teach at Wilkes and, and to join the Wilkes faculty? Yeah, so I should say um, that I actually uh, got my master's from Wilkes back in 2010. Uh, yeah, and so part of that very, is very much, you know, I know how much it meant to me to go through this program mm -hmm. um, and how much I grew as a writer. Um, uh, and so uh, I actually came in, um, uh, I had a big decision because I came in as a playwright um, and I was working with Jean um, and Jan and, and Gregory. Um, and um, I actually had, of course, we know that we choose a second genre too in that yes. first um, um, semester. And I chose mm -hmm. fiction and I just to scare myself because um, mm -hmm. I, I wasn't a fiction writer and I had a character who who wanted to come out in a novel. She was, <laughs> she's like, my, my, my uh, genre is fiction. You're gonna write me <laughs> in a book, um, not a stage play. Um, and so I kept writing this character and, and I was working with Lenore. And so I ended up um, becoming a novelist um, and, and stretching myself mm -hmm. uh, as a writer um, into a new genre because of this program, the Wilkes mm -hmm. program. Um, and just being at the residencies, um, surrounded by writers of all types, um, all genres, seeing how people work, like we were just talking about process, like mm -hmm. there is no right or wrong process. It's what the process is for you. Mm -hmm. And that's what the program taught me. What is the process for me? Mm -hmm. um, what does it need to be for me or the different um, um, processes? Um, and, and so that's what the program really gave me in addition to, of course, the community. You know, um, I, I've been back uh, quite a few times um, uh, either to read uh, for one of the, the, the re alumni reading nights. Um, and uh, those were also very powerful to hear the, the, the cross section of the type of material that is out there that can be written, how it can be written in different forms. Mm -hmm. um, so knowing my experience as a, um, an alum coming back and being invited to to um, to teach, I was, of course, you know, I was so excited to have the opportunity to participate in this way. Um, and um, and when David, we, we were talking about, yes, yes, I playwriting, I've done playwriting, I've done fiction, and this is the new form that I'm writing in, mm -hmm. he was right away so open and saying like, well, how, how do we incorporate this? Um, yeah. and, and so, so yeah, I'm very excited. Um, I have fond memories of being part of this program and I'm so excited um, to, to be part of it um, and share, share. Yeah. That's, that's awesome. Yeah. I, so what I tell people and I've said in these interviews before is somebody who's been through multiple grad graduate programs outside of creative writing. Um, the Wilkes program is like a unicorn, like it is, it is one of a kind <laughs> in the world. Um, and it's, it's such a special, special place. Um, you did touch on something that I want to expand on a little bit. Um, and that is the importance of challenging yourself as a writer. Um, cause I, I think that, you know, how do I put this? Sometimes it's very easy to kind of retreat into your genre. Right. And, and, and maybe even like pigeonhole yourself. Like I'm a, I'm a screenwriter primarily, like this is what I do. Um, so could you talk a little bit about like what that was like for you? Because you came, you said you came in as a playwright and then had this character that that refused <laughs> <laughs> refused to, to, to let you define her <laughs> that way, define them that way. Um, 
So, so can you talk a little bit about that, that importance of, of challenging yourself as a writer? Yeah, I mean, I guess at the end of the day, like I just, I know for me, I'm a storyteller. Mm -hmm. um, I want to tell stories. I want to be excited about not only the, the story I'm telling, but the way I'm telling it. Um, and, and, you know, there's a, like you were just saying, there's, a, I think, times where we say, like, okay, I could do it this way. This is comfortable. I know this. Let me do it this way. Um, but when, when something arises uh, in me, like, like with uh, the opportunity to write the, the middle grade novel, um, I think it felt right and scary, right? So when it's right and scary, there's to me that just is like an invitation to like, okay, it's right but scary, go ahead, try this, please, um, and and trust yourself that you do. You're coming in here. You're in this program because you are a writer, whatever genre you you chose, right? Mm -hmm. um, you have a base of skills, so, mm -hmm. so take that base of skills. Trust. We're talking a lot about trust today. Um, trust that you have those skills and that you can expand upon them and you can grow them and push yourself in other ways. Because then there there might be a, a story or a poem or a series of poems or whatever that that you might have done a very nice, neat job with. Um, if you had just done it the way you were comfortable with, yep. but it could have become something so much more. It could become what it's supposed to be if you mm -hmm. had just kind of followed that scary but right feeling, if that mm -hmm. makes sense. No, I'm moving it... my hands so much. I'm sorry. No, <laughs> it's okay. It's all right. People listening to this on the podcast might not appreciate it, <laughs> but it's, it's okay. Um, yeah, I, I think that's like a huge uh, part of the learning process, right, as a writer, because everybody has those kind of scary things uh, in our past that, that sort of make up who we are that you should write about. But that because it's scary, like, I don't want to do that. I don't want to I don't want to revisit that or, you know, reopen those wounds. But that's probably the stories that you need to tell um, because, you know, that people are going to relate to it. Right. Um, yeah the the screenwriter of um inside out calls it going into the lava <laughs> i think that's just a, a a great metaphor like if you you need to go into the lava like that's what makes the story work and um yeah and that's like i said part of the part of the learning process that's when that's a struggle for everybody in their own different ways yeah absolutely so so yeah like that's i i guess for for students who are thinking about like what's next because uh like you you're coming in as a faculty member with a unique perspective having gone through the program and and now coming back to it um what what would you say to students who are wrapping up the program or maybe have finished recently um who aren't really sure what's next if that makes sense yeah no, absolutely. Because um, it can be, it's an exciting time, but it can be certainly scary. Um, I would say probably the best thing you could do is lean into the community. That's both the mentors that you have, the teachers, as well as your fellow writers. Um, lean into that. Ask them, you know, if you, you know, certainly in terms of like opportunities, next steps, literally in terms of like, okay, um, how can I next get, you know, get this book published or um, get this 
this play on stage. Um, so literally asking that community, leaning into that community, um, but also for support, because there's times it's it's not just, there is the, there are those things that you want to actually um, get done, but there's sometimes where it's you, you know, and the page and the screen. Um, and it sometimes those, those are the hardest moments where you're creating, um, and, and you need support. So I would say lean into that community for sure. Um, and then do not be afraid to make your own way. You know, um, there, that, that is part of what happened with, with me um, and Times from the audio drama, which was supposed to be a stage play, and then realized that wasn't gonna happen. Realized we have a recording equipment, we can do this, we can, we can learn this. Um, um, and that's what Michael and I did. So I, I would say, always be open to figuring out um, other ways that you can see your vision come to life. How do you get your writing in front of people? Um, and it might not be the, the, the most obvious way, um, but ask the questions that lead you to maybe a different opportunity. Yeah. Yeah. There's so much cool independent stuff happening nowadays. For sure. It's, it's just, it's amazing. Like the, the brilliant stuff. Um, I think I honestly think we're living in like a golden age of of um, art in, in some genres, at least. And I don't I don't know that we appreciate it. Yeah. <laughs> and, and may not until we have time to look back and be like, oh, wow, like as much as 2020 and 2021 were awful <laughs> like for their own reasons, like artistically, there was so much like fascinating stuff happening and, and just, you know, unprecedented access to a lot of different types of work. That's so that's so wonderful. Um, and yeah, so for students listening to this, uh, appreciate the cafeteria. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> oh, you mean like literally? The, <laughs> yes, I know. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, for sure. Um, absolutely, make those connections, um, and and you know, find those people who are gonna um, support you, and then and then off the course, you also are there for them as well. That's yeah, it's so important. Um, yeah. yeah we we did several uh online residencies because of the pandemic and I, I think at least among my cohort the number one thing that we missed not because of the food although as a wilkes employee i have to say of course it's fine dining uh in, in the student union um but just the opportunity to have that hour or so you know a couple of times a day to to not unwind but to to talk to people from other cohorts and other other faculty and just like you said, build that community. That's part of what makes Wilkes such a special, special place. Absolutely. And I hope I get to meet you in person at yes. the residency in the cafeteria. <laughs> yes, <laughs> for sure. Absolutely. This has been so fun. <laughs> yeah, thank you so much for doing this, Danya. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Andrew. For more on tenure tracks, please go to untenured.space to access our archives or go to patreon.com slash untenured to help support us.